0: I know I've said it before, Martin Luther's day, though, uh, you had to stand up the whole time during the sermon, so you guys are getting it easy. All right. Anyway. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It is always good to be with you here this morning and to have a chance to uh, look at the Word of God together and let that Word shape our lives. As we talked at the beginning of the service, we continue our Lenten journey. uh, Our Lenten journey together, which began on March 1st on Ash Wednesday. It's a season as we journey together as a community. uh, We journey to Holy Week, we journey to the cross, and we journey to Easter. But something else began on March 1st uh, a few weeks ago. Does anybody else know what began on March 1st? And I'm not talking about the month of March. That's pretty obvious. Anybody else know what what began? Uh, What was it? March Madness. Okay. I wasn't looking for March Madness, but that is true. Pastor Tim would be proud to hear that. All right. Anybody else know? Well, come on. The Ides of March. No, 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 no. It's National Women's History Month. Did you guys know that? I think I heard it in the back. Did you know it's National Women's History Month? Okay. All right. Well, I'm glad we're talking about it today. National Women's History Month, it started in the United States of America back in 1911. It was just a day. And then in the 70s, they devoted a week. And then in the 80s, it's a month. And the con- uh, Congress and the President announce it, and there's usually a theme, and you'll see lots of different speakers in that throughout uh, society. So it's probably good for us that many of you didn't know about it, that we're talking about it this morning. And it's appropriate, I think, as we are journeying together through Lent, and as we look at our text for this morning. So just a quick question, how many women do we have here in the, in the okay, so this directly applies to you. Um, for the rest of you, how many of you had a woman give birth to you? All right, for those of you that didn't raise your hand, um, <laughs> if you're, are you married? Do you have any uh, daughters or nieces or granddaughters, uh, friends that are women, or do you know of any women? Raise your hand if that applies to you. Okay, so this applies to all of us here this morning. Uh, I have a mom, I have a wife, I have three daughters, so it applies to me in a big way. Uh, and I will forever remember the three days when each of my three daughters were born. Here's a picture of one of them. I've shown it before. I love it because it's so uh, baby Hannah. She was born over at St. Joseph. She was, she's a calm, mellow kid. She was like it was two hours. This is like two hours old. She's chilling under the heat lamps like she's in Hawaii on the beach. And she's just, it was so awesome. It was such a great thing. And my wife and I, we love her. We love her sisters uh, like no other. We believe that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. We value their existence, that they bear the image of God, that he created them, that they are his children. And you're probably thinking, well, yeah, okay, duh, we all feel that way. We feel that way about our, our daughters and our granddaughters and our sons and grandkids, all of our kids. But the reality is, that that has not always been the case and always been the way that it has been in the history of the world, okay? The historical view of women in the Greco-Roman world where Jesus was existing and living, in that Greco-Roman world, there were 140 men for every 100 women. Why? What happened to the women? They were left to die when they were born the wrong sex. I want you to look at this letter written to a husband to his pregnant wife in the Greco-Roman world. He writes, "I says, I ask and I beg of you to take good care of our baby son. If you are delivered of a child before I come home, if it is a boy, keep it. If a girl, discard it. I mean, no one of us here in this room could imagine writing a letter like that. I saw that picture of my little daughter when they were born. There is no way I could ever think or say or speak or exist in a world that would treat little children, little daughters like that. I mean, we can't even fathom that, can we? This was reality in the Greco-Roman world 2,000 years ago. Uh, The law of Romulus in Rome said this, that a father was required to raise all male children but only the firstborn female. The rest were disposable. Consider these words from the Greek poet Positippus. He writes, everyone raises a son even if he is poor, but exposes a daughter even if he is rich. Can you imagine that sort of existence, that sort of thinking? Does anyone here have daughters? Raise your hand if you have a daughter. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine thinking that, writing that, existing in a world like that? You may remember a few weeks ago I talked about divorce and about how Jesus was calling out the men who were divorcing their wives for any reason they wanted. He was confronting a society that was debasing women and devaluing God's creation 2,000 years ago. With that in mind, I hope that we can take a look at our text this morning. There's a whole lot of things going on in our text that we can consider. But given the National Women's History Month, given this historical stuff that we're talking about, we are about to see a conversation ensue with Jesus and another human being. And amazingly, it is the longest recorded conversation with Jesus and another human being recorded in history, recorded in the Bible. It's interesting. It's amazing, actually. Have you seen this image before here? Right? Right? i seen that. It's over in our historic sanctuary. It's the image depicting the story of the woman at the well. It's a 100-plus-year-old depiction of our text that we're looking at today. Created by German-European Lutherans from Europe 100-plus years ago, so it kind of has cultural stuff that probably didn't exist at Jesus' time and doesn't exist in our time, but is kind of representative of their thinking and their approaching and their grabbing onto the text. And I hope that we can do that this morning and dive in. So let's look. John chapter 4. We're going to cover a whole bunch of Bible verses this morning. So John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, bring it, uh, uh, open them up, look at them. They could be on your phones. It should be on the screen too. Now it says this. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. It was necessary. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well. It was about noon, so really hot, hot part of the day. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Okay, so now what's going on here? Jesus' route is kind of unusual that he's traveling through Samaria. Normally, he would go around Samaria. The Jews and the Samaritans, they did not get along. So they would like, instead of going, taking the five down to San Diego, they would take the 91 to the 15 and go down and avoid all the San Clemenians, because they didn't like them, right? They would avoid the Samarians. They didn't like them. Why? They didn't want to go that shorter route usually through Samaria because it would risk that not just getting off the freeway because they would kind of walk and travel. They would encounter Samaritans, a people they had rivalry with, strife with. It's a pagan culture, religious impurity, In fact, Alexander the Great had allied with the Samaritans because Samaritans did not like the Jews. The Jews had attacked the Samaritans in war in 128 B.C. before Christ. So in Jesus' day, there were tensions between the Jews and the Samaritans. Tensions of race, tensions of religion and politics and war. It's shocking that it says in the text there that Jesus went this way. Jesus, it says, had to go through Samaria. It was necessary. Not necessary for chronological expediency, not because he was in a hurry, but it was for us to get a glimpse at the heart of God for humanity. So when the woman shows up at the well, okay, the woman shows up at the well, people listening to this account for the first time, they would not even expect for Jesus and the Samaritan woman to acknowledge each other's presence, let alone talk. And it's not just a Samaritan, but it is a woman woman. Samaritan, men in those days didn't even talk to their wives in public, let alone a single Jewish rabbi, a Jewish leader, a teacher, to speak to a Samaritan woman. Now, what kind of woman was it? Now, she came at noon, that's when Jesus was there. Many, including myself, have erroneously interpreted that as a sign based on other things that she was ostracized and some sort of harlot or something like this. Probably the result of men interpreting the scripture throughout the years. Jesus says nothing about that. The Bible says nothing about that. Jesus cares about this woman and her identity and her life. Verse 9 continues on. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Jesus is offering to this Samaritan woman living water. He's offering her the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, yes, I am greater than Jacob. I am greater than Israel. Verse 15 continues on. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's not totally getting it. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So what are we to make of this whole talk about the five husbands and the one she's not with as the husband? What does it mean? Now, first remember, women were considered property in Jesus' day. Husbands divorced their wives for any reason. They cooked the food bad, and they could do it, and they could pull it off, and they could get away with it. She very well could have been widowed. Her husbands could have died. She very well could have been divorced multiple times, not from anything in her fault at all. She could have been forced due to poverty to become a concubine, to align herself with a man because she needed to eat. The reality is that her morality is not discussed here in this text. The reality is is that she is in a terrible, challenging situation in a culture that did not lift up women or value them. Others have interpreted this text and said, well, the five husbands mean the the five foreign gods of Samaria, and that soon she would worship the true God. We don't know for sure, but we do ultimately know that, that this woman is reminded of her disappointments in life and in personal relationships and how she was being treated and right here in this very moment, she is giving a chance to have a new and vibrant relationship with God Himself. Jesus is honoring her by just offering her community, by speaking to her. He's giving her living water on top of that. She could have run away from Him, but she keeps talking, and Jesus keeps talking. You I mean Nicodemus in John chapter 3 last week? He kind of just showed up after a while because he was just dumbfounded. But the woman keeps asking questions, keeps engaging Jesus, and the dialogue goes back and forth. Verse 20, she continues on and she says, our ancestors, that's the Samaritans, worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Dear woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called the Christ that he is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared... I, the one speaking to you, I am he. My friends, no Jewish rabbi of the time would be caught dead speaking with this sort of Samaritan woman. Yet there it is, Jesus. Jesus finds her. Jesus risks all social norms to talk with her, to make contact with this woman, this creation of God, to bring her living water, to give her the gift of the Holy Spirit, to offer her the status as a true worshiper of God, not defined by place, Gerizim, Jerusalem, St. Louis, Orange, the Walker Hall Worship Center, or the Sanctuary. To offer her true identity as a worshiper of God, not defined by race, Jew, Greek, Samaritan, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Native American. That image that we showed earlier is a bit culturally conditioned, right? The image of our stained glass window, if we can bring that up, perhaps. It's a bit culturally conditioned. And perhaps it's okay if we understand it in that context, but I think it's good For us to look at how believers throughout history have depicted this story, check out this image here, given a more ancient Mediterranean flair. This next image here, given an image of more Asian, perhaps, influence. This next image here, given a more Indian, perhaps, influence. And this next image here, Jesus, African-American, the woman at the well. African, African African-American, black, whatever you want to describe it. But I love the different depictions of cultures throughout the years grabbing hold of this story and saying it's ours. This is our story. And the woman at the well, she is offered the status as a true worshiper of God, not by the place that she's from, not by her race, not by her sex, but because God created her and Jesus was sent to die for her and give her living water. The story continues in verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with, not a Samaritan, but what? With a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, amazing, She left her water jar. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed with Samaritans for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know. This is amazing, my friends. These Samaritans, led by this woman, confess and say, we know that this man really is the savior of the world. It's radical. It's revolutionary that these people would say these words. And brothers and sisters in Christ, in this text, in this story, we see perhaps the very tangible beginnings of the biggest unity movement in the history of the world. Jesus and the true worshipers. Jesus calling all people back to God. Jesus paving the way. A radical new way of existence through a despicable place called Samaria. And a conversation with that woman the longest conversation of Jesus with another human being in the Bible. Our Lord, he delights breaking traditional, cultural, man-made, sinful barriers in walls that we build. He takes risks. He reaches out. He speaks. He takes the first step. And he doesn't let all sorts of logical, cultural reasons stop him. He's tenacious in his commitment. Is there anyone that Jesus would not speak to? He's never been afraid to talk to us. He's invited us into true community, true worship, true purpose for our lives. And he invites us to go beyond location, belong race, beyond gender, to bring living water to every human being. He invites us to cross, and not only cross, but break down social, economic, political, education, age, ethnic, and yes, gender boundaries. It's National Women's History Month. And this morning, we honor the woman at the well, that she was marvelously created by God And that she brought the message of Jesus to a message of unity to her whole village and to billions of people since. That we are reading the story this very morning. My friends, while a lot has changed over the years, we still have a ways to go. Even today, in 1990, Amartya Sen wrote this famous essay called More Than 100 Million Women Are Missing speaking to the gender imbalance in places like China and India and other nations. Then, in 2010, uh, also was written by Mara Hivensdahl, she wrote about the unnatural selection, choosing boys over girls and the consequences in a world full of men. still exists to this day in certain parts. Asia has a balance of 163 million more males than females. Once a baby is born, often is identified as female, it is more likely to be unwanted. Rich families cannot find brides for their sons. Poor families are more likely to sell their daughter, which leads to a rise in sex trafficking and the marriages of young women, and a global problem still exists today. We've come a long way, but we have a long way to go. And it's not just out there in other countries, is it, right? Sexism still exists today. Inequities still need to be combated today, even here in the United States of America, right? We've heard it. I could quote a lot of different people, but it even exists here in this heart, in this church, in our city. It's a season of Lent where we take an honest appraisal of our lives and we come with repentant hearts and we say, Lord, have mercy. And so for us men who have been sexist at times, it's a good time for us to repent of that and pray to God and ask for forgiveness and for God to transform our hearts. And for all of us in the room who have built up walls against other people, this season of Lent is an appropriate time for us to say, Lord, have mercy, forgive us, renew us, make us agents of change. Can we do that right now? Let's do it. Heavenly Father's... Heavenly Father, with repentant hearts, we come before you this morning. And for us men who have at times been sexist and looked down upon women for whatever way and whatever capacity, Lord, we come before you and we ask for your forgiveness and grace and mercy. For all of us in the room here this morning, Lord, for the times that we have built up walls, all sorts of walls, whether it be Racial or ethnic or socioeconomic or political or gender or whatever, Lord. There's been so many times that we have built up walls keeping other people out. Many times, like the disciples, we've wondered, Lord, what are you doing? How could you be speaking to that person? And Lord, we ask for forgiveness for those times. We ask for your grace and your mercy this morning to renew us, to build us up, and to send us out with your living water and with your way of existence and life to be radical agents of change in this world. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's my privilege to announce to myself and to you and to all of us this morning that Jesus meets us here on this Lenten journey. And he says that your sins are forgiven, that you are children of God. He says to us from the words of Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and following, he says, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. And for all of you, you were baptized into Christ. You've clothed yourself with Christ. You are neither Jew nor Gentile. You are neither slave nor free. You are neither male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Our Heavenly Father comes to us through Jesus this very moment. And he brings living water to all of us Samaritan women in the room this morning. And that's good news. Your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen.